You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. Welcome back, friends. Please make sure your pod seat and tray table are upright and in their locked position. Pull out your Hugo Award nomination ballot and add the Functional Nerds podcast to your best fan cast selections. Once you have done this, the airlock will seal and life support systems will engage. We hope you enjoy and survive your trip to the Functional Nerdverse. So you're still, you're still threatening people. Okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, Sean can't shame me out of this. I am. I am greater than that or less than that. I don't know what is the the appropriate ethical framework from which to consider this. (laughs) Scarily efficient. I mean, yeah, sure. We're just going to, you know, well, while I have you here, do the thing. (laughs) (laughs) On the the concept of while we have you here, do the thing. Our guest uh, for this week is Aliette Baudard. So welcome, Aliette. It's so wonderful to talk to you. It's wonderful to be here. So you have a U.S. release for Red Scholars Wake that you're here to talk to us about. But, I mean, you've also got just a generally enormous, vibrant, interesting body of work that goes back over the last uh, 10 years or so that I'm really proud to have been able to work some of your short fiction into my classes uh, over the years, which has been super fun. Um, And so this is a treat. It's very nice to have you on and to get to talk to you. Thank you. It's very nice to be here. I'm also thoroughly impressed that you have any energy at this point because you've <laughs> literally just returned from putting small children to bed. Um, so I, hats off. <laughs> Caffeine. Caffeine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in, in a sense, you know, you you and um, in very completely different uh, number of legs and, you know, species involved. But I was we were talking in the green room before we got started here that you and Patrick have in common um, the kind of brutal experience of, of uh, having your life sort of run by the schedule of, of smaller mammals. In his case, it's a, it's a dog. But, you know, we, we all level up in our own ways. I mean, I, I have to say his 5 a.m. wake up sounds way less fun. Like <laughs> mine have become gradually better at not waking me up at 5 a.m. That's good. The, the, That's good. The best part, though, is is when he does that and I let him out and he goes out on the deck and he kind of sniffs for a minute and then he just does the sigh and he goes, <sighs> and he turns around and comes back in. <laughs> oh, no. Like, and you're like, do it. Oh, oh, my God. Uh all and then he nothing. heads for the stairs and he's like, oh, you're going back to bed. Oh, you dick. <laughs> yeah, I think that's absolutely the right mood. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, no, so I, yeah mine are 7 a.m.-ish. ish. Oh, well, that's civilized. Yeah, yeah, yeah but I mean, you, don't, you don't have to let them out to go. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Good point. They might find it rather odd if you did. You just like open up the slider on the patio and be like, well, out with you. Like this. There you go. That's the world. Off. Off you go. So, so Red Scholars Wake. Um, it's sort of like a smorgasbord of, of Aliette-isms in a lot of way. We have we have the world of, of um, sort of administrivia and sort of power as held by scholars. We have sapphic space pirates. We have um, sentient ships. Um, it's really kind of like you and all of the sort of uh, features that that tend to populate your work. And I kind of want to talk about that for a little bit. I'm really fascinated by your your return to these as consistent features. Yes, because it's part of the world that you've built up in your series. But like, 
why sentient ships to begin with? Like, what um, makes them extra fun for you? I think it's it's a kind of it's a way of and several things, right? It's a way of play, of playing with AI as a sort of um, so that the sentient spaceships in question are incubated in human wombs, so they become part of the family afterwards mm-hmm. because oh, the wow. mother, the biological mother, uh, retains a link to them, even if part of them actually you know works for the empire that commissioned them mm-hmm. so i do find that kind of very different people in the same family dynamic very interesting in terms of i mean they were cons- like they were made by humans but they also have a very different t- sense of time a very different sense of space they're going to live for centuries and centuries and the humans aren't, right? So that creates Mm -hmm. all sorts of really interesting dynamics. There's also issues which have been really interested in lately about not occupying the same kind of space, right? Yeah. I think it's, I mean, we all occupy different, slightly different spaces and even more so when you add virtual spaces currently. But I think having people and in particular ships being able to project themselves anywhere they want with avatars Mm -hmm. basically interact with people Mm -hmm. in a fairly straightforward way and having that be the default is really interesting and there's also all sorts of interesting things about you know having people on board their own bodies and what that means in terms of what they can perceive questions of consent privacy who gets access to who to what and under what conditions which as a computer engineer i find terribly interesting you know who's your system administrator here and who gets the root password and all that sort of things except in space with pirates generally space and pirates improves most things but i think to begin with that whole sort of ideation about the We've been fascinated, I think, in the world of SF about the idea of what is an artificial intelligence and to what extent should we humanize it. And your your focus on establishing that literal link between human mm. bodies through that incubation and the the literal placement within families, you know, it pushes that conversation several steps further than I think a lot of authors have attempted to do. Like we we saw, you know, about about 10 years ago, a little less now, um, and Lecky, of course, with, you know, the Ancillary, um, the, the Imperial Rotch uh, trilogy, had a very different take on how to establish a kind of sentience within ships because it was this distributed thing yeah. across, mm. yeah, across mm. people who had been uh, colonized and their bodies were being sort of used for the purposes of establishing this this empire network of, of space technology and, and ships and things. But this is quite different in the sense that you're you're giving them individuated personhood. Um, yeah. In, yeah, in this very intentional way. Yeah, I kind of, I mean, I, I was, I used to work in AI like mm-hmm. uh, 10, 15 years ago. And I think one of the things that I still find very fascinating about it is, is the way that essentially we take very human ideas of like sentience. And I mean, the field that I used to work in uh, was computer vision. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's fascinating about computer vision, and in particular pattern recognition, is that something we're extremely good at as humans that has been optimized for us as humans, right? So if I show you a picture of a car and ask you what it is, you're going to go, car. The mm-hmm. AI is going to go, pixel, 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 pixel. <laughs> right? So in a sense, you're having to teach the AI what a car is. And yeah you get, you know, neural network and all the 
kind of ascent of things like chat GPT and that sort of thing. Right, right. And it's really, I guess to me, it was really interesting because it is, it's still very like, you know, they must be like us in some respect in order to be considered sentient. Mm. And I thought, well, if that's going to be the premise that basically everything that we conceive of is going to be like us, then we might as well take that to its furthest limit, which is, okay, fine. If it's like us, then we're not going to have a discussion about what kind of rights it has. Because, mm. hey, sentient, we are mm. not even having this discussion. And then I was really interested in, okay, then if that's the way that it's going, what kind of society are we looking at? Uh, and what's going to be the impact on relationship that they have with people, relationship that they have between themselves, et cetera, et cetera. Well, if the if the the photograph thing that you're talking about with the the car is like that's the that's the line between human and AI, I'm screwed because I can never pick out all the traffic lights and the capture. It recaptures. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, recaptures is like yes. Um I am the person who goes like is this like is the the pole part of yeah, the counts. traffic light yeah. or not? Yeah. And apparently not. Um, yeah. And it goes, sorry, you're a robot. Oh well, <laughs> too bad. <laughs> Damn, I overthought it again. Yeah, <laughs> I, pers- I, have, I have failed to persuade it of my humanity by way of my precision. I think you know. <laughs> You mentioned ChatGPT, for instance, and all of that, and of course uh, the 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 I was going to say the writing industry, but let's face it, like like sort of the world itself has been shooketh um, by this uh, whole evolution of OpenAI and ChatGPT, and in the world of uh, art, like MidJourney and things of that mm. nature. Um, and I think it's a combination of sort of like generalized Luddite anxiety slash, you know really sophisticated ethical concerns about intellectual property, um, you know, concerns about kind of the the landscape of human creativity and opportunity for participating in it. And so I have to imagine that your feelings about that are well-informed, but probably also very complex. Um, I mean... <laughs> it's a good question. I know. Actually, I'm, I'm trying to sort out my feelings as we are. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I think mostly it's the I'm not a big fan personally of the we did it because we could kind of thing, and that's very much what Chat GPT is, um, and Midjourney, and all those things are. Right? It's it's mostly mm-hmm. a kind of um, not just we did it because we could, but also. I have all sorts of ethical issues about training sets and who has, you know, people did not sign away their rights to, for their art, for instance, to be used for training a model, right? And so we get into all sorts of thorny copyright issues. I get a little concerned about the fact that essentially what we have is the outer shell of an AI in the sense that it's very good at being very certain about things it's totally wrong about if you take <laughs> chat GPT, for instance, right? Sure. So it's a when, politician. Yeah. <laughs> but see, to me, a sentient AI would be something that could, someone actually, that could actually think, right? And that yeah. might ne- not yeah. necessarily communicate in a way that's familiar to us, right? And this is completely the reverse. It's something that per se 
doesn't do what I consider thinking in the sense that it doesn't share enough of the common assumptions we have about things, right? Mm -hmm. uh, common assumptions we have about logic, take me journey, right? It doesn't know how many hands people have, how many, sorry, how many fingers, but also how many hands <laughs> um, in some yeah, case. Yeah. And so it, it mimics, right? It cannot abstract, which to me would be the next step towards sentience. And mm -hmm. that's part of the issue, the same issues back when I was using neural networks is you can't really train them to recognize what the car is. You can mostly train them to recognize a set of pixels. Yeah, a pattern and, that that yeah, it, it is it is doing primal pattern recognition, but that is actually not a. I mean, it's it is a cognitive function, but it is not a sentience per se right. thing. Right. So, so it's it's quite interesting. Unfortunately, I think that you know at the stage we're at, it's also like a kind of out of the box thing that mm -hmm. you can't put back in the box. Um, and. I would like to think that we're going to be able to put some ethical and legal constraints on things, yeah. but I'm not wildly optimistic given the overall evolution of much of uh, science, really, to be honest. You mentioned before when you were kind of reflecting on on the way, for instance, ChatGPT constructs language and, and, and makes a point or a point of view you mentioned it, it communicates with this absolute certainty, despite the fact that it's, you know, not very robustly informed about anything. Um, and I wish that I could take credit for this, but this is just a tweet that someone shared out into the universe. And I happened to see that attempted to define chat GPT and said that the best, the best explanation of what it is that this person could think of was that it's essentially AI mansplaining. Um, oh yeah, I saw that tweet. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because it's it it writes with considerable conviction and no personal reflection about the needs of its audience or the nature of its yeah. of of the of the the listeners surrounding it about topics it has no real experience in, but writes with complete certainty and conviction on. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that that's very much what it feels like to me, and I mean, it's it's going to be a rocky few years ahead, and certainly, and you know, an industry that hasn't, well, a series of industries that haven't always shown great concern for people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a yeah. bit of a general worry, I guess, that I don't mm -hmm. think is baseless given the history. No, I think it's it's a very fair set of concerns. I mean, thinking about you, you talked about that the it it recognizes, cre creates, duplicates patterns. Um, in a sense, I mean, the human mind is is itself a sort of computing processing machine, um, capable of its own sort of parallel processing and and things. And that gets me thinking about your writing process in terms of the fact that your your native language and mother tongue is French, um, mm -hmm. but I'm only familiar with your work as published in English. And so that made me wonder how much of your writing process, do you write in English? Do you, do you write in both English and French and then find yourself sort of working your way towards a, like how, how does your bilingualness influence that writing process? I, I mean, I, I compose in English and I write in English. Mm -hmm. I have the occasional, like, you know, brainstorming session with French-speaking mm -hmm. people in French. Mm -hmm. I think mostly the bilingualness is coming through, and I mean, actually, it's not just bilingualness. Uh, there's also, like, 
Vietnamese as well coming in yes, yeah, um, because I write stuff that is inspired by Vietnamese culture and it's mostly coming in a great sense of frustration that goes, there's a perfect word. It just happens to be in the wrong language and I don't know what to do. <laughs> oh, no. Right? Oh, no. <laughs> and so a lot of like a fair amount of like when I'm writing and when I'm trying to write s- sentences, I will often get hung up on the word and go like, this is really frustrating because I would like to just have a two, one or two word reference to this and it does not exist. So I'm going to have to yeah. build it and there's going, there's a half hour or if I'm lucky or, you know, two hour pause while I go like, let's find the perfect English word for this. Mm-hmm. And it will actually like derail everything until I'm done. I'm like, okay, I, I, I actually kind of need, except if like, even for throwaway detail, I tend to like, especially in the beginning when I'm writing the first few paragraphs or something i'm like actually i can't just go like square bracket fill in later square bracket because it, right. it kind of feels too vague to actually mm-hmm. be able to build on top of that so i think that's yeah. mostly what's happening yeah um, and then and then when you do find the english word you find out that the, there's like seven different spellings of it and each one is means something completely different yes and it just yes, frustrates and- you even more Yes, and then I'm like, oh, actually, this is like Australian usage, and I can't actually use it that way because yeah, obviously, yeah. you know, English has several different variations. Yeah. Now, yeah. What, what's funny is when you said uh, a brainstorming session with friends in French, uh, you know, the the American in me and and just you know projecting what we think it means to be French is like. I'm I'm picturing you and a bunch of friends sitting in a cafe, uh, you know, drinking coffee and and eating baguettes that are oh. fresh out of the oven. You know that oh, that's that's my idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I am very jealous of these people who do those. <laughs> yeah, I, I will say I do have a, a I have done writing sessions in my local bakery, and I'm not the only one because <laughs> many of them double as a kind of. Um, cafe yes so and it it tends to be like quiet when people are because you know people will go buy bread to commute Mm -hmm. or will go buy Mm -hmm. bread on their lunch break but if you go outside of everybody's commute or lunch hours it's actually pretty restful and that way i can eat and i can have some tea and an eclair at the same time very nice. That's that's a as we're talking about this sort of like idealized and also real environment for for writing or brainstorming. And I'm of course podcasting with you from the basement of my house, which is uh, very real but not idealized. And the camera is currently going all over the place because Hobbes has arrived and has decided yes. it's very important to claim it by rubbing his face all over it. Hobbes so, the cat. Um, yep. If suddenly, uh, from the behavior, I kind of assumed. I'm afraid. Yeah, oh, there's, there's a sudden Midwestern earthquake. You know, and then a tail appears, and then a tail appears. Kaiju. Yeah, it's, it'd be besieged by that Midwestern Lake Michigan kaiju. <laughs> you know, I was. Um, so I'm sorry. Now, no, now no, I've no, got no, in yeah, my no. now I've got in my head mm-hmm. the Midwestern kaiju walking. I'm going, hey there, hi there, oh there. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> and I'll be like, "Oh, did I did I step on your car there? Oh boy, uh, sorry about that." Uh, <laughs> you know, like, ah, jeez. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't mean to do that. Nope. <laughs> yeah, I can uh, I can hear that right now too. 
you mentioned before writing, and there is, of course, the theoretical option of you hit the word that you don't have yet, that's the right thing to go there, and not being able to just do brackets, move on later, because it it interferes the completeness of the moment and like the clarity of the moment that mm. you need to kind of keep moving on. That That sort of bracket thing... I'm sure you've done that before in your writing as well. Um, no, I, I have, I have, and I, I yeah. like I. One of the things that I have worked out is that when I write a draft, um, mm-hmm. I can have very nice dialogue and very nice character work, or I can have physical detail, but I definitely cannot do both at the same time. So okay. <laughs> I tend to have to write those very sparse, like kind of white room. Um, mm. kind of um, discussions that are happening and with all the kind of major emotional beats, major characterization beats being hit and and the sort of global world-building stuff as well, but nothing about like, you know, what kind of table are they sitting around or right. what kind of food they're eating or even the gestures that they make when they talk. And so every single um, draft ends with me going back and going like okay let's add the table now um <laughs> except gotta set you the know, table yeah pretty yeah. much so that there's a pass of like i always expect my draft to take a plus 30 percent on the count of we're gonna need to add tables and like details and what kind mm-hmm. of clothes are they wearing it'd be nice to describe them physically too at some point that yes. might come in handy etc etc uh so I, I do put in like square brackets liberally there and go like find a better physical description than just she was a woman of middle age. Do you know, do you know the, uh, do you know AstroTurf? No. AstroTurf. Do you know that Tracy? I know what it is. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So it's, it's fake grass. It's like, and, and you can get like this, this fake green plastic grass at your house. Like you can have it as a mat or something and, and it crunches under your feet and uh, I once got called out because I I didn't put a I didn't put brackets, but I spent like a paragraph trying to explain what that shit was without actually calling it astroturf because mm-hmm. I was afraid astroturf was a registered trademark. Oh, and I didn't want to actually use it, and so got I was it. trying to explain what it was. And someone's reading this and they're going, "Why aren't you just saying astroturf?" <laughs> yeah. And I'm like. Well, because uh, yeah, but you use like 250 words trying to explain <laughs> this, what this shit the is—the crunchy, not real grass thing. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Yeah. grass that crunches. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I remember I talked. Um, I did an interview a few years back with Caroline Yoakum um, and a number of other people as well about like how they do dialogue, and it was Dwight? really interesting. I'm sorry, what? Does she know Dwight? Uh, don't think so. Dwight Yoakam? No? Yeah. No. No. Different. I'm sorry. I'm um, sorry. That's going to go way over your head. But he's a country music person, so. Yeah. Um, Fair. But also, yes, so, it, it did go way over my head. So Caroline, Someone in the audience, someone listening will know. Someone in the was. audience thinks you're hilarious. And that was yes. for you, listener yes. number somebody. <laughs> yes. So Caroline um, was like, oh, God, I hate dialogue. Like, it's the absolute last thing that I can do every line of dialogue is a bracket uh, in the first draft <laughs> that says so-and-so says something angrily about this topic. Like so-and-so retorts in a way to try to calm them down. Then conversation that eventually resolves in this. And like, <laughs> and oh, she'll, she'll like whip out the first draft and be like, and I'm done. And then she goes back to being like, oh, damn it. 
and like there's just like half the thing is just sort of waiting yes, still yet yeah. to be done and be like oh I have to make the invisible people talk to each other now um yeah my yeah. favorite my, my least favorite one that I ever did was um square bracket inside beautiful poem here and square bracket. <laughs> and when oh, no. I was in revisions, I was like, Future you was so mad. to myself. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, no. did, I did demand it. And like my character read this poem and was like, actually, it's shite. It is so terrible. Like all my tutors at the Imperial Citadel would have words about this poem. But hey, I wrote a poem. Mm. There I, you go. I Lower can't... expectations. Yes, exactly. I... Like, <laughs> be realistic about like what you can actually do. I, I, I don't remember exactly what she said, but Michelle over at Beyond the Trope uh, podcast recently tweeted, uh, thanks past Michelle for this. And it was like, there was, it was a bracket thing. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, something happens here. And it was like an entire chapter. Like oh, she had moved no. on oh, and oh, like no. had come back oh, and was no. like, oh no, past me. What have I done to myself? <laughs> Inciting incident here. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. No. I, w- I will curse myself quite frequently when I hit revisions and I'm like, oh, yes, this is where I got a little too tired. And actually, no, I wasn't tired. I was entirely right in yeah. my judgment at the time, which was it was going to be difficult. Still difficult. Gonna do very, it. You're very yeah. kind to past you. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of us would just be, be saying things that would be expletive deleted, bracketed, as it were. Um, for, for that reason. Oh, that's always an option as well. Sure. The fun part, though, is the fun part, though, is like uh, when you when you do something like that and then eventually you figure out what it's going to be like, let's say you 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 because I have done this before. I am terrible at naming things and naming. Mm. So a lot of times I will use placeholder names and then I'll figure out what the real name is. And then you do a find and replace. I mean, that works unless you end up accidentally picking up pieces of other and that's things what along the way. always happens. Yeah, and there's yeah. on that. Yes. Yep. You're scared. Forgot to take the life. whole word box. <laughs> you're looking at it and you're going, what the hell word is that? What? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. When I do find and replace, I go through case by case because I'm apparently a masochist. <laughs> I'm very impressed, but also I don't do that. And I just go like Patrick. Oh my no, God, what sure. did I do? Like, this is this is why I have a copy editor. Go. <laughs> like, fair, someone fair. will find this later. Sure, absolutely. So I, I'm guessing that one of the areas that you probably never have to, in broad strokes, like bracket out for later development um, is that idea of writing, for instance, in your fiction, a sort of Vietnamese culture influence and inflected um setting and world like you you know what you mean when you say that you have an idea of how to sort of incorporate those elements and it kind of makes me wonder because that's become a fairly common turn of phrase x culture inflected or informed Mm. setting especially for science fiction and fantasy as we kind of expand outward our idea of like what what baseline settings can exist that aren't just like dudes with swords on you know western medieval horses and such um I have to wonder, like, when you see that sort of label and then you pick up a text that where an author's striving to do something like that and sort of evoke shades of another culture in their work, what for you tend to be the markers of what it, when it feels like it's done well versus when it feels like it, it isn't? For me, it tends to be some kind of, I don't know, it's, it's a very nebulous feeling of 
first off something that feels very much lived in, right? Mm. Um, a sort of universe that feels um, like somewhere you might not want to move to, but that you could conceivably move to, right? That doesn't right. have those weird gaps or this kind of very, what I think of as a very theatrical kind of thing where, you know, you just have this kind of blank canvas right. with yeah. stuff and that's it, right? That's <clears throat> all you get of the world. If you went behind the drop curtain, you'd just yeah, see exactly. all the you would, you, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You would just see the bits of the scaffolding and, and you don't actually see the scaffolding. You just see the kind of hollow, right? Where it is, um, and and then the it yeah it's um I mean when it's ex culture inflected I I am aware of the fact that there's going to be a lot of authorial kind of liberties right and everybody's going to draw the line somewhere um, yeah yeah when it comes say to Vietnamese cultures like draw the lines that like we're factual stuff right it's sort of like um it is surprising and always weirdly disappointing uh but <laughs> frequently happens that people will go like oh here are those vietnamese names and i'm like that's japanese <laughs> um, <laughs> or you know everybody wrote using I, I can't remember what they were like the something something about the language and i'm like it's got an alphabet. It has mm. got an alphabet since the 1920s. I kind of like, we can talk about what happened prior to the 1920s. So in general, they tend to, like the kind of thing that throws me out of narrations tends to be like those kind of big mm -hmm. factual errors. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of, we could have fixed this with a Google search. Yeah, exactly. You could have wikipedia it, please. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So... Are we feeling like picks of the week? What do you say now? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm ready if you are. Yeah, let's do it. Picks of the week. All right. So, Patrick, how about you? What, are, what have you been looking forward to sharing? I. So this is going to surprise no one. I have a TV show to talk about. Uh, I started uh, randomly watching this because it popped up on Hulu. And it's a it's a TV show from ABC, and I, I had actually seen a trailer previously, and it just looked quirky enough that I would be interested in it. And it's a show called Will Trent, and okay. it's set in Atlanta. And uh, the main I actually wrote his name down. Uh, the main actor is uh, Ramon Rodriguez, okay. and he's playing the the character of Will Trent. So it's interesting to see him with a southern accent. Oh, okay. and oh, okay. and uh, he is a uh, he's a, a police officer. He's with the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, mm -hmm. and he is like the best at what he does. He has like the highest uh, close rate. So it's a it's a procedural mystery kind of show, mm -hmm. and it's actually based on books by Karen Slaughter. Oh, uh, oh. I think it's okay. that name, Karen Slaughter. Yeah, and uh, so it's him and Erica Christensen uh, is playing Angie Pulaski, and like they're two kids who grew up in the foster system and uh, stayed close and they stayed together uh, and uh, they both became police officers. Uh, and he is, he's, uh, he has a secret and, and I'm not going to, I'm going to spoil it because it's not really a spoiler. They, they get it pretty quickly in the show. Uh, he's dyslexic. So he can't really read mm. Mm. yet. 
he's gone on, like he has become this uh, police officer and basically he, he uses tricks and, and he, he always figures ways things. out mm. to not like he, he always has a tape recorder with him. He records mm. everything and, and doesn't write anything down. He never writes anything down. He's always recording. And then, you know, he, he will type stuff up, but it takes him forever. And uh, it's just really interesting and, and kind of quirky. Like I said, um, in the very first episode, uh, like he, he basically adopts this tiny little yappy dog because he takes it to the shelter and they basically, uh, mess with him so much about dropping the poor dog off and, and that he ends up just taking the dog with him and keeping her. So he like and, found the dog and was going yeah, to take it. To the and, and he takes it to the shelter and he's like, you're, you're a no kill shelter. Right. And they're like, well, most of the time. Oh dear. That is not what you want to hear. He's like, what do you mean most of the time? You know, and he just ends up taking this dog. And uh he's just a quirky character and he solves these mysteries and and Mm -hmm. murders and stuff. And and it's fun. And so I'm I'm into it. I I kinda wanna I wanna check out the books, but I'm also afraid to check out the books because uh, you know, I always have the problem with uh expectations those, well not just that but the way those books are written compared to the way science fiction books are written it's a oh, completely mm, different style mm, and i get yeah, so true. into science fiction and fantasy and then when i try to switch to something like that my brain doesn't like it and it mm. struggles with that with just a completely mm. different style mm. but uh yeah i'm enjoying it again it's on it's on abc uh or hulu uh, is where I'm watching it. So yeah, we'll the idea of being a mystery writer and having your crime fiction writer and having your name be Karen Slaughter. I mean, that that's like <laughs> if our names right? were like Tracy Pew Pew Reagan or something, like, it's right there. It's like very yeah. in the wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect right. name. Aliette, how about yourself? Um, so I've uh, started watching a, a Chinese series that's called Mr. Bad. Um, okay. It's on Vicky. Uh, and basically, the it's a kind of romantic comedy with elements of fantasy. Um, and basically, the premise of that is the main character is a woman um, who is freshly out of university-ish, I think. Um, she is doesn't have a job. Um, she is hoping to interview at the company of her literary hero. And in the meantime, she writes what is essentially fan fiction, um, where she like writes those historical Chinese dramas where she's the main character and she, as the main character, is dating the guy she wants to interview with. Um, oh. And she despairs of finding the right person for her. Um, and some kind of mischievous spirit decides that um, the villain of her fan fiction is going to come to life. And so the guy basically shows up like from a straight up Chinese historical drama into modern day Chinese life and goes, <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to take to it like a fish to water. Um, and also I have no scruples and I am totally going to do things my way. Um and he just like <laughs> keeps running into her and the leads have like terrific chemistry and he's just mm-hmm. having a lot of fun with all the kind of like uh, cliches of like Chinese historical dramas and having this guy who's just wandering about wandering around and in the first episode he's basically um, getting everybody is commenting on like how beautiful his costume is and like you know uh, can they take selfies and post them to Instagram and so on <laughs> and so forth and he's like 
I don't know what's going on, but I cannot show any weakness and I must not <laughs> reveal any weak points. Just like, you know, smile, carry on. So yeah, that's you know, wonderful. It, we, we're getting a lot of, of uh, shows from other countries and in, in different languages, uh, thanks to Netflix mm-hmm. in America. Uh, I just recently watched a science fiction movie. I struggle, I struggle with subtitles. And, but you know, I was the kid who took Latin in school, so I'm, I'm not really bilingual. I like English and Latin. Uh, so I, I have to do subtitles and, and it was, uh, Jung E, I think is okay. what it was called. J U N G underscore E. And it's about a, uh, you know, like the, the earth is, is, is totaled and we've built these rings and everybody's living in these rings that are kind of around the earth. Right. And there was this, this superhero warrior woman who uh, was just like the hero for everybody. And cause she kicked ass all the time. And, and they basically uh, took her brain and are trying to build AI. Uh, Ooh, okay. warriors. And that you was the up best. Right there, Elliot. I saw that. It was the best <laughs> damn movie, sci-fi movie I've seen in a while. Like I, wow. I thought that was better than anything that's come out of Hollywood. Whoa. Okay. Uh, cool. So it's like it's worth it if you. It, it, I, I don't know if we can get the show that you just talked about on the on the channel that you just talked about. Like I don't mm-hmm. know if that's available here, but it might be on Netflix. And yeah. and again, mm-hmm. like I, I, I always suggest people check it out because there's yeah. so much good stuff there. Yeah, I saw I saw a preview the other day. I think it was a Facebook ad um, that that came my way, um, but it's for like a Bollywood kung fu romance Ooh. opera thing, and it is it looks completely bonkers and wonderful. And I, if I remember, I cannot remember the name of it. This is not a helpful wreck of any kind. It's not actually my pick <laughs> of the week because obviously it's not out until April, so I have, haven't seen it yet. Um, but it's got sort of like a little bit of pride and prejudice going, but through the lens of um, dating and arranged marriage and classism and so on. Um, and that the gig of it is supposed to be apparently that there are two sisters, one of whom is sort of uh, eligible and single and dating around and finds a quite wealthy uh, boyfriend who she's very fond of. Um, her other sister, um, her sister is uh, training to become a stunt woman. Um, and so this is against societal norms across a variety of different ways. And, uh, but they're very close to one another. And her sister is very, the sister who's dating is very supportive of the sister who wants to become a stunt woman. But apparently uh, the boyfriend has an evil mother who will attempt to separate um, her son from this shameful dating option at any cost. And it turns into um, a bit of like a Bollywood Kung Fu thing with these two <laughs> oh, sisters yeah, yeah, having yeah. to square I have, off. I, I, I have yeah. seen that trailer. I just God, do I not remember, remember the, the title either, but I, I have seen the trailer. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be kicking myself because I'll probably Google it when we're done with the episode. And, and then, well, yeah. And, and, and having said what I just said, I'm, I'm curious now if any of our listeners are using a VPN to be able to get content from other countries, because that oh. is a thing you can do now. You can use mm. the, the private VPN networks. It's one of the things they tout, right? They're like, want to watch XYZ show on Netflix, but you can't because it's not available in your area. Use our VPN, change your IP to Thailand and see what they're, you know, like, and watch what they're watching. Uh, hmm. So I'd be curious if any of our listeners are doing that. Yeah. I don't have any inside track on that uh, because also that would involve television. And as we have well established <laughs> in this program, I am bad at television. Yeah. So, so what game are you yeah. picking this week? 
Uh, well, I'm not picking a game, actually. Uh, I'm, I'm bad at television, but I am good at games and books. And so yeah. my pick this week is uh, N.K. Jemison's sequel. It's the second book in the duology that she wrote. Uh, I recommended the first book uh, about, gosh, about a year ago, I want to say. Um, but it is the sequel to uh, the, um, the City We Became. I just finished the audiobook treatment of The World We Make. Um, and it is just a wonderful duology. Um, if you're familiar with N.K. Jemisin's work, then you have some idea of kind of the scope of uh, ambitious world building and character building that she likes to do. If you're not familiar with it, it's a great entry point um, to her work because it is the first time that I'm aware of, in any case, that she's written novel length um, fantasy that's grounded in our world as opposed to a secondary world fantasy treatment. Um, and so it's the world we make picks up where the first uh, story, um, the, the the city we became, left off. And for those of you who didn't happen to listen to the episode a while back where I recommended that, the city we became runs with the idea that um, cities, once they reach a certain kind of um, critical mass of history and cultural prominence and sort of societal um, awareness of, of itself as a kind of cultural group and so on, awaken. And the city awakens not just as a, a sentience in and of itself, but it awakens with an avatar. Uh, and that's be, that there is a person who lives within that city who becomes essentially the human embodiment of that city. Uh, but the surprise becomes, in the first book in any case, that uh, New York City, when it awakens, um, doesn't awaken in only one person. It awakens in several because of the five boroughs. Um, and so this becomes a story of these various people who are all having this awakening, like they've discovered that they are Queens or that they're Manhattan or that the Bronx or Brooklyn or Staten Island and so on. How do they encounter one another? And along with this, cities that awaken are preyed upon by a kind of interdimensional kaiju of sorts, which is itself also a city. Specifically, it's the city of Relais. Um, which comes from across the cosmic divide to try to destroy the newborn city uh, by destroying its avatar. And so why it wants to do that is a whole thing that evolves over the course of this duology. Um, and so, of course, if you know anything about your Lovecraft, you know that the city of Relay is the city that uh, we're given the, the mythology of Cthulhu from, that he slumbers in it under the sea. And so it is a twist on the Lovecraftian mythos that requires absolutely zero knowledge of Lovecraft, that sort of repurposes the whole mythos in the name of a primarily, um, you know, black, indigenous, people of color and queer cast of characters that embody New York facing off against essentially what would happen if if um, the Lovecraftian mythos as embodied in its city avatar realized that all it needs to do to attack a city is to leverage the things that we already have in our world. So it mobilizes white nationalists. It mobilizes, um, you know, gentrification. It mobilizes um, late stage capitalism, you know, all sorts of things that are already pain points for us in modern society. The story really leans into uh, and you would think with me saying all of that, that it would be a bit of a bummer and kind of a drag, but it is actually an insanely hopeful text that's often incredibly funny and interesting and fun, um, and the ending to it feels entirely earned for the duology. And if you are nice. 
keen to listen to things on audiobook, I cannot overstate how wonderful the experience of Robin Miles acting as the narrator is. Uh, Robin Miles has been the narrator for a lot of N.K. Jemisin stuff over the years, and she does so many accents um, that are very fine-grained in difference, like the difference between a Brooklyn accent versus a Bronx accent, you know, versus a Staten Island accent versus sort of like, you know, what what does someone from Boston or from, from Sao Paulo or someone from Hong Kong sound like? And she mm. can nail it. She does it all. Um it's just it's a really well produced audiobook sequence, a really fun story. I cannot overstate how cool uh, the city we became and the world we make are. Very cool. All right. Oof, that was that was a lot of picks. We were picking and recommending <laughs> and just geeking out all over the that was good stuff. All right. I'm I'm all I'm sweaty in a good way. And it's a good sweat. So. <laughs> All right. Well, Elliot, thank you so much for finishing up your night with us. We really appreciate all of all of your flexibility uh, with time and with being with us here. Where can people find you, find Red Scholars Wake, find all of your cool stuff, um, both now and in the future? Um, sure. Um, so um, I'm mostly on Mastodon those days. So mm-hmm. at elliotdbwondering.shop. Um, also AliaDB on Instagram uh, and my website is aliadibodar.com where you can find my newsletter notably uh, mm-hmm. if you'd rather have things delivered to your mailbox. It's a very infrequent newsletter because I have two young children so you know it's it's mostly a I have a new book out you should check it out. Yeah. <laughs> I don't actually spam it's like I don't have the energy. Right. Um, I mean well aside from the fact that I don't want to do it. Um mm-hmm. And you can get the Red Scholars Wake from um, all major resellers. Um, it's out from um, Jabberwocky Literary Agency in the US. Um, so the print edition will only be available through Amazon. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, you can look at the Golance edition, which is the UK one. Yes. Thank you so much, Elliot. Thank you. What on earth? Hey. Hey. Oh, oh. Hi, Patrick. Tracy, what are you doing to the bumper? Uh, fortifying it. Duh. This is because we just talked to Keith Amon about defending your lair. And? And I started thinking about that time beyond the trope, tried to take over. Yeah, I... I act cool about that, but I guess it kind of got to me after all. You do realize that building a... what? What is this? It's a palisade. Right. You realize that physical fortifications are not a way of protecting and preserving the podcast into the future, right? I suppose. Oh, oh, what about weapons? You're kidding. You have two Hugo Awards. Those trophies are very pointy and probably excellent for close quarters combat. Oh my God, you're not kidding. You can't tell me that you don't look at those trophies sometimes and think about how good it would feel to just poke them right into Sean Duke from Skiffy and Fanty, huh? Huh? My therapist says I need to give my worst impulses space to be entertained intellectually but not acted upon. I would totally act on that. But there's a problem. I don't have a Hugo Award trophy. I don't even have one of the tiny stabity nomination pins. Patrick. Patrick. 
Why are you grabbing me by the collar? Why am I narrating about it? This is audio entertainment, Patrick. Just give the cues. Patrick, I need that Hugo trophy to help you defend our lair. Podcast. But layer, podcast, whatever. We need to make sure the listeners know that nominating for the Hugo Awards is a great way to contribute to the SF community and honor content creators they like. Maybe even the functional nerds by nominating them for categories like Best Fan Cast. Please let me go. Oh, sorry. Would you feel better if we also told folks that interested listeners can go to the current Worldcon Facebook page for more information? I cannot actually pronounce that name of that current page, but they're in China. Oh, or they could skip straight to finding the Chengdu Worldcon on the web at en.chengduworldcon.com. You know, you're stronger than I thought you'd be. My neck hurts. (sighs) Walk it off, Hester. Here, here's a hammer. We've got work to do. Let's take a second to talk about Beyond the Trope. If you're looking for another podcast to listen to, we recommend Beyond the Trope. Giles and Michelle have been putting out episodes for a really long time. Not as long as me, but don't hold that against them. They have a lot of great guests, just like we do. And they put out their episodes on Tuesdays, just like we do. They also have a Patreon with a bunch of extra content for backers, which is really cool. They have a Redbubble site where you can buy stuff, also cool. And I just wanted to throw it out there. Beyond the Trope, check them out. I think you'll like them. So there. Mr. Carpiers, you got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. If you've if you've never listened to the podcast, there there's there's two different styles here. There's there's Tracy who does prep work and comes up with some very thoughtful questions, and then oh squirrel. Oh, for God's sake, Patrick Louise. <laughs> Are you okay with me recording you today for the purposes of this podcast? Okay, that's probably a good enough signal. <laughs> when someone comes up to me and says, "Hey, I really love what you do," I'm like. I'm sorry, do you know who I, like, I think you have me confused with someone else. The whiz bang and the gosh wow and the sense of wonder stuff. My favorite thing about time travel is I actually had a time travel joke for you guys, but you didn't like it. I'm so excited.